What's up, everybody? Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy. Real quick, before we get into it, just want to give you guys the quick breakdown. We got baseball talk to start off today's show, about 55 minutes or so, of me and Andrew Kalanya talking all things Yankees, all things Mets, the angst that's in the air between the two fan bases and everything from what they can do to get better to uh, the All-Star game that's going to be here before we know it. Some of the top-tier players uh, will be showing out for New York baseball. Then also some NBA draft theories from me on the flip side of that. So if you're looking for some NBA draft content, stay tuned for that or check the description to find out when that comes up. That's it. Just want to give you a heads up. Thanks for listening. As always, here we go. Subway Sports Talk. Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and now on YouTube. Here to talk some baseball right now. The Yankees are killing it. The Mets are killing it. There's still some angst in the air in New York for some reason, and here to parse through that angst is Andrew Kalanya, the designated hitter tonight. What's up, brother? How's it going? Ready to ready to break down the uh, the topics on everybody's mind here. Uh, how about Miss Marvel? How, how about it? You can't do that. I, can I call a foul on that? <laughs> I, I got to call a foul because normally you come in here and and you, you bring something off beat and something that we're not expecting. And I got to throw I got to throw something out there. Uh, usually you do off the beaten path, something ridiculous and I'm not expecting. We just spoke about Miss Marvel 30 seconds ago. You told me you haven't watched it yet. And then you just bring it up in the first minute of the podcast. What, what is it? What's going on right now? Yeah, you, you told me it was good, so I, I want to hear your take on it. Oh, oh, oh! So you're just you're just teeing me up. <laughs> I'm teeing you up there. You teed me up, and I batted it away at first. Basically, is what just happened. Um, okay. Miss Marvel, though, actually good. Let me just say that off the jump. It's a good show so far through two episodes that I'm enjoying. I think uh, some of the concerns for many people going in, and I'm I'm talking many people in more like our age range and perhaps, you know, male dominant conversations mm-hmm. that we're having here. Like people are like, Oh, it's so high school. It's so like teenage drama and girly. Like it doesn't seem like the, the type of Marvel that I want to go for. Like that was the initial reaction to the trailer by many people. And I understood mm-hmm. that. Um, but as soon as I watched the first episode and I've, I've seen other people say this, so this is not an original thought, but as soon as I watched the first episode, it's like, no, no, no. All this like colorful crap that we thought was like too teenage and too pretty for what we want to see in Marvel. It's not too pretty. It's actually really freaking cool and impressive mm-hmm. comic book style stuff. Like all these drawings and the lights and the whatnot um, has to do with the comics and her love for the Marvel, her Marvel universe, mm-hmm. you know, not our MCU, yes. obviously, because she's in it. You know what I'm saying? But like super cool. And if you like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which have you not seen that? I also have not seen Into the Spider Verse. Uh, I think that's either. your. I think that might be your biggest flaw as a man. I I think so. 
<laughs> wow. Just laying it, all, laying it all out there. No, 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 no. Because that movie is off the charts. Mm. So many people have said that's like one of the best comic book movies ever made. Like people have so said those words. And you are a fan of the genre and a fan of the spider Manning, And you didn't see it. It's crazy to me. It's crazy that you haven't seen it. So I've been out. For, I've seen it like seven, like five, six, seven times. Listen, man. Everyone has their blind spots. I know. I know. Uh, I have a good friend that's never seen Die Hard. So it's just like some some people just have blind spots, man. You gotta you gotta roll with the punches. But um, but I will. But Die I will Hard. say I am. You never seen Die? No, I've seen parts of it. What? I've seen like <laughs> a, a few. You know cut for tv segments perhaps oh you can't watch it on you can't watch die hard on tv man like Listen, that's just right. that's, yeah. here's a handshake deal that's never going to happen you could watch in spider-man to the spider-verse and i'll watch an old movie that everyone loves and probably doesn't hold up as much as they say it does oh <laughs> i'm speechless that's gonna I'm hurt speechless. a lot of people's feelings i didn't mean to do that that was just it was just too easy it was low-hanging fruit um yeah, that might be, that, that might that might be the most controversial thing you've said in the history of this podcast. Do you, do you think that that's my biggest flaw as a man? Absolutely. <laughs> my uh, my rejection of things that are too popular, yeah. like things that just get too big. Like I still haven't watched Game of Thrones, and I know I would love it. And I just haven't watched it yet, part and because I already have terrible sleeping habits. I don't need to make them worse. That's mm. that's honestly the biggest reason why I haven't watched it yet, which is still pretty lame. But yeah, that th- those are some of my biggest flaws. Well, also, it never, it never, Game of Thrones doesn't stick the landing, so it's just like you don't. If it was, it had this amazing ending, then you know now. you could, yeah. you could go, you could go, you know, you'd be more at uh, fault for not rushing into it. But now that you know that, like, they completely fucked up the last season of it. You don't, you don't need to rush in. You don't need to lose sleep over uh, starting Game of Thrones, man. Mm. You just, you just don't. Well, I don't know how we got here. I don't. <laughs> But I'm happy we're here. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll watch Die Hard. You should watch Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, and then we'll 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 do a share exchange of notes uh, yeah, sure. at some point on the pod later on down the road. Uh, but we're here to talk about baseball. Before we do the baseball talking, though, we got to talk about some hockey and uh, DraftKings Sportsbook. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Has an unbelievable offer right now. The most exciting playoffs in sports are going on, and new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets. No matter what, win or lose, you bet 5 bucks on any team to win, you're getting $150 in free bets. So uh, right now, the Lightning just got to 2-1. They played a really good game three. I kind of expect them to do the same, and I know nothing about hockey, so I think they're going to even it out. So uh doesn't really matter. You put five on the game and you win no matter what. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings same game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win. I said the Lightning. Maybe Stamco scores. Yeah, how many goals will be scored? A little over-under. That's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPM at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Obviously, the designated hitters in the house today, Sands, Alec Argento. Maybe we'll get him on soon. I know it's been a while. He's actually going. Is he at a Yankees game in Toronto this this week? Did he go to one? 
Is he trying I, I to go He said he was going to try to go to one, but I, I think he's up there trying to get his Canadian citizenship or something, something like that. I don't know. He's, he's, he's up there doing something. I just He's doing something. He's doing um, something. But Having some maple syrup. <laughs> nonetheless, you got the two of us to talk baseball, talk Mets, talk Yankees. And we're in this interesting space now in the world of New York baseball where I still like really feel the angst in the air and angst comes in many different ways, uh, many different forms. Some is like false confidence, false bravado. Some is pure panic. And then it, it's a spectrum, right? Like, like being angsty about your baseball team is a full loaded spectrum. And I'm seeing all sorts of different stuff here, Andrew. So I'm going to start throwing some things your way. And I want you to tell me if you are feeling some of the similar stuff. If you're hearing it, if you think it's valid, invalid, etc. So first and foremost, I think the Mets versus Yankees or Yankees versus Mets fanhood arguing is at an all-time high right now, which is a beautiful thing. But I'm Absolutely. noticing an extra oomph from the Yankees fans in my life to put down the Mets. And I don't know if it's all accurate. And I don't know if some of it's false bravado. So you tell me if, A, you've been hearing the Yankee fans out there, not you in particular, because you're a nice guy. Um, have they been going at Mets fans a little bit more in your eye, in your purview? And if so, is it valid? Is the Mets concerns much stronger than the Yankees? They're definitely stronger than the Yankees, but much stronger to a point where this confidence is valid. Well, yeah, def- I've definitely been hearing it. And, and to a point, I can understand it. So... The Yankees are on this absolute historic pace right now. So, like, I don't know, the the jerk in inside of me is, like, you, when you hear a Met fan saying, oh, we're doing good, too, you're like, no, no, you're not doing as good as us. So, you know, just take it, take it easy. I understand you have a better record than the Dodgers. Dodgers are very good, and the Mets uh, have been holding their own despite the surgeons of uh, Atlanta and, Phil- and Philadelphia. So I, I, I get that point. Uh, and some Yankees fans, you know, wanting to celebrate their own success because, you know, the there's only like five five other teams that have had this great of start in the history of all of baseball. So, you know, when someone else wants to talk about how great your team is, well, clearly you're not as good as the Yankees. So I get that at one point. On the other hand, um, me being the nice guy that I, that I am, I don't I don't buy into the narrative that the I don't know that the Mets are. Uh, in, or an inferior team or that much that much worse or, or or any any of that kind of stuff so that's not that's not really my take but i can understand the other side of it at the at the same time yeah i guess i guess that's fair in, in the sense because it is frustrating as a mets fan right like we mm-hmm. just want to have nice things on our own here oh, of course and we're like we're not allowed to at the moment <laughs> because like a mets fan can't get off you know their bravado because it's always followed by so what the Yankees have five more wins than you like, nah, so, so what we, we're, we're better than you right now. So what we have the best pitching staff in baseball. So what Aaron judge is the best player, blah, blah, blah. So what put, the Mets don't hit any home runs. Like, and, I feel like the, the Mets just have to put it in the context of the national league. I feel like if you want to talk, yeah, but overall, no, that's, that, uh, that sucks too. That yeah. sucks too because it's another one of those stupid things that people can throw out there yet. Yeah, um, so I say, People, I mean Yankee fans and any any American League fan in general, like, oh, if you were playing in the American League in a real conference, like in a real division, then maybe it would be a little harder for you. Like, oh, I'm sorry that we're just playing all the people on our schedule and doing very well. And a lot of those people have to uh, happen to be on the franchise that won all of the most recent World Series. 
Like, what? Why is it such a a, a sticking point for Yankee fans to be like, yeah, over there in the National League where you guys are playing freaking minor league baseball? Like, it, it, that doesn't make any sense to me. There's plenty of good teams in in the National League, and in fact, those teams have actually won more World Series over the past uh, in recent history than all the American League teams. So what what's good with that? If you're so strong over there, why aren't you winning more when it comes down to it in the big in the big dance? I I, I get the point. I, I don't I won't even say I don't I don't disagree with it. And again, like the, the Yankees banked a ton of their wins. They played uh, the Orioles like 15 times already, and they've won like 13 of those games. So it's just like do you do you fault the Yankees for padding their wins? They beat the teams you're supposed to beat. That's all you can only play who's on your schedule. As long as they're you know, and when the Mets was supposedly that gauntlet where out West, you know, they, they split with the Dodgers after losing the first two games, they came back and they, they won those two games against, uh, against them. And they did pretty well against uh, San Diego. And I think they split with the angels, which isn't great, but I mean, I think they had a 500, was it a 500 yeah, road trip? Five and five. We lost to the Padres, but we split with the Dodgers and the angels. No, and we talked about it before they went on the road trip and, you know, that's, that's a perfectly reasonable road trip against two of the better teams in the national league going up against them. So that's fine. Um, and again, you can only play the teams that you're going to play. And again, even with the the Braves being as hot as they are uh, and the Phillies being as high as they are, you still at the end of today, you still have a six game lead up in the division. And so they're keeping pace. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, it's good to it's good the the chatter the and the banter's is is never bad. I'll never say it's a bad thing for Mets and Yankees fans to be uh, quipping at each other. Whether the whether the points are one hundred percent valid, I'll leave that up to the fan to uh, yeah. to decide that. Of course, and you're absolutely right, and that's why it's important to note that this angst that I'm talking about comes in so many shapes and sizes. For every Yankee fan who's just irrationally confident who might be correct, there's a Yankee fan who's spitting out. Um, the hot takes out of a, a false bravado. And the same goes for the Mets. There's Mets fans out there who are saying, nah, this is the year. Like, we're legit. We're this, we're that. On the inside, they're dying, right? Because mm-hmm. like, of the history that we have. And then there's other Mets fans who are just waiting for something bad to happen who may actually think the team's good, but they're not going to express it, right? Like, so every fan base has this full range of people with all these different ideas. And the fact that the Mets and the Yankees fans can be together to just try and crap on each other in every possible way is the best thing that we have going right now. So I love it. I don't want to make it sound like I don't love it, but no. I also like to get involved because it's oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And people are afraid to get hurt. People just need to go to therapy, I guess. You know, there's the talk to a therapist. They're just afraid to get to buy in to get hurt, you know. And I'll fully admit that at the beginning of the season, I was I was upset about the the offseason moves and I I didn't want to buy in, but now as I was saying in the group chat the other day that, uh, you know, I'm pretty confident in saying that the Yankees have wrapped up the American League East in, what's say June 20th. They've wrapped up the American League East with a 12-game lead. Again, playing great. Uh, they swept Tampa at home. They, they uh, took three out of four from Toronto up in Toronto. Now they came back and looks like they're about to, uh, you know, it's a tight game right now. They're up 4-2. With one out in the in the bottom of the ninth inning, they might be able to pull this out uh, a sneaky win out in Tampa. Um, so it's uh, it's fun, it's fun, and I I will say that uh, I am fairly confident that this team this team has wrapped up the American League East. And uh, I, again, I said I stated this in the group chat that even if the Yankees go 500 the rest of the way, 
they're that's that gives them like 99 wins, which is wild. Even you yeah. know, so they can they can basically coast the rest of the way and, and take it easy. And you know, I feel like there's still things that they need to address, and I hope that they do address come the from the trading deadline. Um, but you know, I think that's that's all they really need are just like toppings. Just that there's no, there's nothing that's glaring that I feel like in the last couple of years, I feel like they've had to address at like the trading deadline, whether it was their handedness or lack of, or too many strikeouts and enough contact hitters. I feel like the line is very balanced. I feel like they just need, you know, a key, you know, topping to, to finish off the roster at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into all of those uh, various items for the Yankees and the Mets and how they could sustain the current success, build on the success. Some are incredibly obvious, like in, in regards to the Mets, DeGrom yeah. and Scherzer's health is imperative, and you could argue that even without those two for basically most of this entire season here, they're still doing this well. What a great sign. That's number one. For the Yankees, um, you know, you you had to have – you've had had – jeez, words are tough right now. You've yeah. had Judge at his absolute peak, right? You've had, like, pinnacle Judge. But across the rest of the lineup, you haven't really had, like, you know, absolute – star-studded performances from any other one individual, right? So there's even room to grow in the lineup there when Giancarlo gets hot, when DJ really takes off, which he's like been doing here and there, right? So there's obvious places for things to regress in the right direction. And then there's things where you can do outside of the the current organization to try and get better. But before we get into that, I do want to ask you about something we talked about in the pre-show with the Yankees rotation. The absolute most insane statistic that I've heard this season is that the Yankees have only started eight pitchers this season. And three of those pitchers, so pitcher eight, pitcher seven, and pitcher six, only had one start each, which means that the starting five has been the starting five the entire year. It almost doesn't matter what their numbers are. They happen to be amazing. But the fact that that's true is off the charts. So, Andrew, what does it feel like rooting for a team where – Literally, you like you know the rotation. You know who to expect, and you're getting the great performances that you basically dream of when you oh, yeah. get a rotation. So, what's it been like? And then on the back end of that, like, does that lead to nerves, or is that my Mets fan showing? No, it doesn't lead to nerves. And and honestly, uh, Yankees just won. By the way, uh, it's a great start. Uh, great uh, ending of the game by them. Let's go. Um, no, it, uh, first of all, it gives me the aesthetic. Uh, baseball that I enjoy because starters are going much deeper into games. And I feel like that's been a key problem with the Yankees. They've been very over-reliant on their bullpen the last few years where, you know, the guys were only going like four or five innings to start and they were having to get five innings out of their bullpen almost on a nightly basis. And guys were burned out by the time of the playoffs and they only had like one or two relievers that you could, you know, theoretically rely on by the time, you know, whoever was, wasn't completely worn out by the playoffs time. So that, that alleviates that problem there. And again, I, I personally, nothing gets my, gets me, my baseball uh, wood more hard uh, than watching the starting pitcher go eight innings and, you know, trying to try and throw like a complete game or pitching deep into a ball game. That's like just the aesthetic of baseball that, that I love so much. And to watch like has got knowing that, you know, that, uh, Cole's going to go out and throws, you know, at least six, seven innings every night. Nestor Cortez, you know, the, the last bump in, in the road, the last two starts haven't been like the best. He's still throwing, you know, 
seven, eight innings almost every single start. Same with Tyon, same with Severino. Strikeouts are there too. So they're very, they're fun to watch. Um, and they're going deep in a game. So it's exactly what you want uh, as a fan perspective and it's exactly what you want as a team perspective. So it's a, it's a, everything's coming up Millhouse. And in regards to your baseball wood, all I have to say is congrats to your cocks. Uh, but no, it's, it really is incredible watching that rotation and just looking at the baseball reference page, right? Like pulling up the mm-hmm. stats for that rotation. You see Severino and Cole as the fourth and fifth best ERA in the rotation. Yep. It's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's, not, it's supposed to be the opposite, right? They're supposed to be the two best pitchers realistically in the rotation. And you're getting incredible performances out of all these, uh, these other guys, Nestor being mm-hmm. just like the darling of baseball right now. Yeah. I mean, like there was a point in time where, you know, I tried in the very, I tested the waters in the beginning of the season to be like a Nestor Cortez heel tested the waters. Mm. I was like, ah, oh, you Yankee fans are acting like he's going to come out here and be the Cy Young. Well, guess what? He's pretty much come out here and is leading probably the Cy Young race at this point in time, but he's so likable. He's also just like one of the best dudes to watch from a personality standpoint to him being like a small person who's just crushing mm. it in MLB right now. Like he has everything going for him. However, and this is not be, me being a heel. This is me like seeing sports for a long time in my life. There's always paying attention to stuff like this. These things don't always last forever, right? Like we've seen pitchers come out and be this dude for a minute. And then all of a sudden you come back and it's like, what happened to that one nine ERA? Why is it a three eight now? Right. Mm-hmm. It usually means that it blows up for them for a little while. So I don't, I'm not trying to put that into the world, but is there, is there any reason to believe that that's possible? Or do you truly believe watching Nestor every five days that the stuff, the mixing of speeds, the command, uh, all that stuff is like here to stay. And he's going to be, you know, a solid rotation guy. And what I mean, I don't mean like a four or five. I mean like a guy who you are relying on for the entire season and years to come. Yeah. I think, I think at this point, you know, your, your 12 starts in 70, 70 innings. You kind of, you want to see what he's at when he when he uh, I think his career high um, innings pitch is like 110 or something like that. So it's going to be interesting to to say the least in the second half to see where he's at. Maybe the Yankees try to scale back his innings a bit, you know, but come playoff time, I fully expect him to be one of those guys in the rotation um, along with uh, Severino and Cole. And we'll see who's pitching better out of Montgomery and Tyon, uh, you know, to get that fourth starting pitcher spot. And the other person um, can go out to the bullpen, which just strengthens that relief core um, the same. But again, yeah, Nestor Cortez is the darling of baseball, the absolute story of the year. And again, if he doesn't make the, uh, doesn't make the all-star team or it doesn't, I, I would peg him to start the all-star game for, the American league at this point, if that doesn't happen and it's, uh, there'll be a travesty uh, uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. And it's also nice um, just on a personal level. I was a, I was a big Phil Hughes fan uh, back in the day. I have a, I have a couple of number 65 uh, jerseys and that's the great thing about Yankee jerseys is that I, I have this, uh, this mint condition Nestor Cortez Jersey. Just I'm able to bring it out. Maybe I'll wear it on Sunday when we uh, subway sports talk hits Yankee stadium. Uh, yes, 100%. You, I, I actually thought about that today, by the way, as a non Yankees fan going to, they're playing the Astros. Is that right? Yep. 
I, I'm obviously not going to wear an ash. I'm not a psychopath, nor do I own the ash for stuff. But I like you know, I can't be out here wearing Yankee stuff. No, you can, you can you can just wear like a, your hat. You know, you're not going to wear like an Alonzo jersey to like the stadium. You could just wear a Mets hat. You I've done that. I've I've gone to I've gone to like Mets Mets um, Mets Marlins, and I've just worn like a plain blue shirt and just a Yankees hat, and that's it. And I'm not uh, I'm not here making a statement. I'm just wearing a hat. So. That's a fair. That's a fair thing, but there's a good question for anyone listening out there. Like, what do you wear at an opposing team's game that your team has nothing to do with, right? Especially here in New York, right? So, if you're a Giants fan going to a Jets Jets game, if you are a, you know, Knicks fan going to a Nets game, etc. I'm thinking right now, I wear the Knicks hat on Sunday. Mm. Neutral. So- I'm now on the same team as most of the people in the stands. We're gonna have a great afternoon. One o'clock start. You know, if I wear the Mets hat, then I'm welcoming in, which maybe I want. We're going to maybe we'll see how we feel when we wake up in the morning. But if I wear the Knicks hat and just a regular shirt that has no team affiliation, uh, I you think you can't that, wear a shirt. You can't wear a shirt. That's that's asking for trouble. I feel the so, hat is very the hat is subtle. Why is, is, why is subtle. the Mets hat, which everyone can see? A bigger deal than me if I was wearing a Mets jersey, if you will. It's it's I don't know. It's just it's just the you have it. It's it's a bigger logo. It's on your chest. It's for everyone to see. You know, it's the first thing that people people look at the top of your head when they see they. You know, plus you're a taller guy, so you know most people are at eye level at your chest. They're gonna see Mets right there, and they're gonna think you're a jerk. So don't uh, <laughs> don't wear don't wear the shirt. Just you know, you can go with the hat, and if you go with the Knicks hat, that's Mets colors anyway. So you know, you're you're sneakily representing your team at the at the same time there you go so it's a really the win-win right there it's the best of both worlds and also maybe we'll see how the uh, nba draft goes on thursday night to to mm. see nick's hat even wants to come out on yeah. sunday there's a lot of stuff a lot of rumors out there always with the knicks but we're gonna get to that later in the podcast what, what pick what pick do they have uh the 11th pick one of those picks that kind of sucks, but kind of is nice still too. How do, how do they never pick in like the lottery? Where, what is happening where like the Knicks are just like, they yeah. suck just enough where, you know, they don't get a good draft pick. It's like perpetual cycle of suck. Unlike my New York Rangers who, you know, get top picks after top picks and see where that got them, which was uh, two wins from the, from the Stanley cup finals. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know. I, and it hurts. They suck, <laughs> honestly, RJ Barrett being the only real top top pick we got it was number number three in a two person draft. But however, mm-hmm. RJ Barrett became a really good player. I think he's a future All Star at some point in the next two three years. But uh, no, when you suck at sucking, that's what happens. Uh, yeah. Everyone thought the Knicks were going to be a playoff team again this year with ease. They were not. They got eleventh. Um, and this all this like the odds in the lottery mm-hmm. changed up for the teams that are like you know five through fourteen having better chances to move up hasn't really helped them yet either. So, you know, okay. it is what it is. But listen, when you look at the history of an NBA draft, not to get off board here, but uh, there are good players, one through 15, one through 20 every year, and they're not always two through eight. They're not. Like, because of the way people evaluate talent, and we don't hear about this stuff in baseball because it's, like, so many years out, but mm-hmm. it happens in baseball too. You know, a, a GM and a scout is saying, wow, that dude can be something insane. Like he has all these tools. He's got this, he's got that. And then it never works out. And mm-hmm. sometimes you get the guy a little bit behind who may be slightly less talented, but you know, 10% more driven and et cetera. And it, and it works out. Okay. So I have decent hopes here. Uh, um, I'm going to do some NBA draft stuff later. 
So th- there's some players who I like. Okay. Chances of them being game-changing players, much slimmer. So that's that's the tough part. You, no one's predicting Donovan Mitchell to be a multi-time all-star. They're predicting Donovan Mitchell, oh, I like this guy. He can play. He's in that 9 to 15 range. He can play. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Back- yeah, the, the, Knicks, the Knicks need guys like that anyway, but I feel like they're never going to take that step forward until you get that one that one guy or that, that, that perennial all-star type of player. And I feel like it's kind of, they're just spinning their wheels until, you know, one of them just happens to stumble into the lap. That's my very amateur uh, basketball analysis here. Always waiting for the frustrated star to want out. But unfortunately a frustrated star, probably 75% of the time is frustrated on a team, but also not perfect themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, the best stars overcome and don't really ask out very often. Like Jimmy Butler's the, the one of the exceptions right now, who's like asked, who's asked out of multiple places and still gone on to succeed at every stop. Right. Like James Harden is asking mm-hmm. out. It's not working out. Right. Like it's not always yeah. that simple. So like if Carl Anthony Towns asks out of Minnesota, which people have been speculating on for years and he wants to go to the Knicks. Amazing. I want an all-star center on my team, but is he now the guy who we're going to, put the franchise on his back. He's never really been that guy, right? Like, so why was, why are we expecting to be that guy now? So it's really tough when you get into that nitty gritty. Uh, so we shall see. We shall see talks of them trying to trade up to. All right. Back to baseball. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, the pitching staff for the Yankees off the charts. Love mm-hmm. it. It's incredible to watch. And, and you did a good job touching on that stuff with the depth. And even if something goes wrong, how they can still handle it, which is really a luxury that not many teams can have the Mets have done a decent job at that though. Uh, with their injuries, they're number one and number two or they're number one, a and one B, whatever you want to call them, not yeah. being there, they're figuring it out. Um, so let's talk about, um, the rest of the Yankee stuff first, then we'll go on to the Mets. Wh- where is that spot to upgrade? Cause the obvious one that people say is the Hicks or Gallo spot, right? Moving off Hicks is not happening because of the contract. Many people say Gallo's starting to come around. He does some other stuff well, even if he's striking out 100 times. Like, what is it? What is the move to make this lineup better, to make this defense better, to make something noticeably better about this Yankees team? And what are they going to be willing to give up? Because we know Cashman's not one to just give over assets, especially uh, if he doesn't think it's going to put them to an extreme level. So I'm hearing a lot of talks about the Yankees making another move at the deadline to add to this really, really, really awesome team already. But I'm 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 hard pressed to come up with an idea of who, what, where, how. So now, what do you think about that situation? Especially with Matt Carpenter coming on and you know getting those six home runs and like uh, out of like his first like eight hits, and you know obviously that that's not going to continue. So. I feel like you have to be able to upgrade the bench at some point. And honestly, like my only gripe about the Yankees currently offensively is that I feel like Aaron judge is playing a lot more center field that I feel comfortable him playing, um, especially on turf. Um, and I feel like Joey Gallo is more comfortable in right field. And I feel like that's what's kind of, maybe that's led to um, some of his offensive performance um, and, and his improvement that he's gone on for the last couple of weeks. Again, still only batting a buck 83, but the power seems to be coming there and he's still a great defender and he's still a great base runner. And if, um, and again, I totally understand the gripes of fellow Yankees fans that, 
you know, he's that he strikes out too much. But again, he's not the key to of the offense. He's the number seven hitter in the lineup. So I'm not overly concerned about Joey Gallon. I don't feel like, you know, the power seems to be coming back. So I don't feel like they're going to move on from him. So if they upgrade anywhere, it's going to be a, a fourth outfielder type that can that you feel comfortable playing uh, center field or someone, you know, to get judge uh, off his feet. And maybe if you don't want, um, you know, maybe relegate Hicks a little bit further, further down line. I don't think they're ever going to move on from Hicks again. He still has three years, 30 million left on the contract. So uh, I don't think they'll completely move on from him. Maybe they'll just scale him back. So it's maybe a, a bench piece here. And obviously I feel like you have to be able to replace um, Chad Green, who you lost to Tommy John surgery, so I feel like you're gonna they're gonna pick up another reliever because I don't you know Lewisaga is great, but he's coming back from a shoulder injury, and Chapman's gonna be Chapman. So I feel like I would feel really good uh, if they picked up another uh, high leverage reliever or somebody that they can you know Clay Holmes and Michael King into you know somebody great. So I feel like those are the two two big needs. There's no again unlike the last couple of years, there hasn't been any kind of major um, you know, uh, deficiencies on the roster where they they've had to immediately address these are just these are just finishing touches um, to go on a, a deep playoff run. So they give, look at the bullpen, look for you know to strengthen the bench a little bit more. And I think that's I think that's about it. That's all you can really ask for, barring any kind of catastrophic injury, which God forbid. Please don't. Please no. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, and that's fair. So the Yankee fan who's clamoring for some sort of splashy move is probably not going to get it. No, um, I, don't, I don't think so. One that I've heard is to upgrade the Marwin Gonzalez spot, but you know, he's been coming around. His numbers are starting to get a little bit better. He can play every single position. Is there really like, you know, I yeah. think the, the yeah. outfielder thing is probably more likely. I guess LaCastro was the hope to be that guy and, and obviously got hurt early and, and Duhar um, was up playing some outfield, but you're not banking on him to be your center fielder for judge, yeah. right? Like he's more yeah. of an offensive guy who you just deal with his defense. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure what the exact move is there, but Cashman will probably do something, right? Yeah. Is Cashman officially in the good graces? We're going to go to the Mets now in a second, but is Cashman officially back in the good graces? Because he's been a lot of crap for a while. Yeah, I feel like he should always be in the good graces. Again, he's not the one that said that, you know, my gripes during the offseason were um, he wasn't really the one setting the payroll, um, you know, threshold it's that's that's on ownership and he does his best to be within that threshold and again i was highly critical of the donaldson uh kind of off a trade for you know sanchez and urshela and um it's 100 worked out in his favor so again cashman always you know more times than not he doesn't lose a trade but we'll see how willing he is to um to get them you know finishing touching pieces which is Something he hasn't really done over the over the last couple of years, but I feel like this is you know if, they, if you're not going to do it with this roster, you you know when are you ever going to do it? So I, I'm very confident in in his ability to to upgrade the margins where where necessary. Beautiful. All right, let's move on to the Mets here. Talk about some of their stuff. Um, so one of the narratives around the Mets that's negative lately it has to do with their offense and how they're not exactly a power driven team. That's the narrative, right? They're middle low. You know, they're 18th in the league in home runs. You know, so they're middle low pack there. Mm. Um, but they are top 10 in total bases. So it's not like they're just hitting singles and figuring it out just that way. Right. But they're doing mm. a lot of things. They, they steal bases a little bit. 
They hit with runners in scoring position. They have contact guys now. They have a balanced lineup, which has been glaring since you know the earliest parts of the season, which was also something that the Yankee fans have been asking for for years, right? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we have all these home run hitters, but we need some freaking balance here, man. We can't have black holes seven through nine. Yankees figured that out. The Mets figured that out too. They have a balanced lineup, even with some of their bench pieces. So if, if you go online, Andrew, and you see a, a thread about the Mets and how they hit more ground balls than anybody in the league and no team that's hit this many ground balls has ever been this successful, blah, 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 blah. And all this stuff with analytics and, and um, not hitting with power all of the time. Mm-hmm. Is that something to you that is valid that would lead you to believe there should be some sort of regression in the negative way? Or when you look at this Mets lineup, is there a trust for you to say, Hey, this, this methodology of a few power hitters and a bunch of just good hitters that can work for a full 162. Absolutely can work over 162. Um, again, if they were just slap hitters and they weren't taking their walks or getting on base, then I would, I maybe I would agree more with that sentiment. And I feel like they, you know, they only have two guys with double digit home runs. And I feel like if they, they need to make a move, they'll go out and get, a power hitter to complete the lineup because again, they have a ton of guys that make plenty of like great hard contact uh, up and down the line of Mark Canna has been a godsend. Uh, Gilmore has been uh, Gilmore uh, has been uh, Guillaume. Sorry. I can't read uh, nor, <laughs> nor do I um, uh, watch too many, too many Mets games. You know, I, I flip back and forth, but you know, obviously my main focus is on the, on the Yankees. He's been, he's been fantastic in, uh, you know, 150 plate appearances so far, 404 on base percentage. So um, they're getting what they need to get. Uh, again, McNeil has been a uh, all-star caliber player, um, three leading the league um, uh, batting average, uh, t- great on base percentage. Nimmo's doing his thing, you know, always at the top of the lineup. So again, if you want to argue, saying that they need another power hitter, I, I won't argue against that, that they, that, you know, that's probably be their move to go out and get one more power bat to protect uh, Alonso a little bit, but they have plenty of other guys in the lineup that are making quality contact. They don't strike out a ton. They're getting on base. So it's exactly kind of what you want out of your, out of your lineup. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right now the Mets have not only the best run bat is in duo in the league with the best trio in the league as well. If you bring in Marte. Uh, mm-hmm. So right now, Lindor and Alonzo over 140 RBIs combined. Oh wait, no, that's not right. hundred. I'm sorry. 114, mm-hmm. 116. But- I don't know if that's updated, whatever. They have the most RBIs combined in the league. I'm doing quick yeah. math in my head. I just can't do mm-hmm. that, but yeah. it's, it's been incredible to watch Alonzo and Lindor bat with runners in scoring position, drive people in Marte's really doing, doing a lot as well lately. Uh, so it's not like this team is just it's not like they're not scoring runs. They're still right. scoring runs just fine. It's not like they're having a problem, you know, doing without power They're you know, again, and they have guys that are, you know, Marte and Lindor have uh, almost 10 stolen bases a piece. So they're doing it on the base path suit, creating runs that way. And they scored the you most know, the, runs in the league at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, right. The, off- the offense is, the offense is fine. Again, I would, I would personally, add another power hitter to maybe put and then have McNeil be the second baseman uh, full-time rather than Guillaume. Right. Um, you know, but again, he, he does well in his spots too. So 
And Showalter has done a really great job of putting guys in the best position uh, to succeed. Even J.D. Davis, who was off to a slow start now, he's got a 340 on base percentage. And he's, and he's picked it up a ton. And um, Dom Smith is back after tearing, tearing it up in AAA. So let's see, maybe... Um, Maybe he can get that uh, that power stroke back. So um, yeah. there's plenty there's plenty to like uh, on the Mets offense right now. So I don't I, I poo poo any of any of that talk that the the Mets offense isn't sustainable. Um, you know for the rest of the way. Obviously, I love to hear that. Now I, I think back to uh, last year. You know, like a Jorge Soler type, right? The Braves pull in Jorge Soler, and mm. you know he's just that power bat that you were talking about. I don't know if he's going to be available again. He might be available again, actually. But that's the type of guy who you want to now bring in. He might be a little bit higher name uh, than who will be available. But that's mm-hmm. the type of dude who's going to come in there and and make a pitcher think twice, right? Especially when you have that balance. When if yo, you know, you're going to walk Solaire, and then all of a sudden you have to run into Mark Canna and JD Davis, who are now batting in the past month, you know, two fifty plus, two three hundred plus, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it, it is a great balance for them. And it feels good to be quite frank. It really does. Uh, the pitching front, on the other hand, for the Mets, not as specific. But I, I, one more question, actually, quick on the um, on the batting front, not about the Mets or Yankees specifically, but OPS obviously is a statistic here, Andrew. That mm. is a, a huge stat now, telling about the success of a player and and of a team. My question is, what's the benchmark, right? Because it's a tricky question. We all know that 300 is a great batting average. We all know that 375 is a great on-base percentage. We all know 275 and 350 is very good, right? Like, those are things that everybody knows who's been watching baseball for any amount of years. OPS is trickier. I'm sitting there watching the game with my dad, and, you know, OPS is the first stat they're showing on, on the bug down there when a guy comes mm-hmm. that. But I feel like an average fan sees a 680, a 740, an 820, and they have no idea what's what. Now, not every batter in the lineup should be expected to be an 800 or a 740, mm. et cetera. So how do you frame in your head the benchmarks for OPS for, for various players? Because I know it's not the same for every type of hitter. Oh, yeah. It's it's not the same for every type of hitter. But what I would say is um, if you're if you just want to take like a quick eye shot of who's doing who's doing well. Um, you would you would have to think that anyone having an OPS over 800 is is great. Great. So that's a com- that's a combined slugging and on base percentage of at least you know 400 or slice it however you want. But 800 right. is 800 is great. Uh, anything above 750 is is above is above average. So if you're if you're talking an OPS like an Aaron Judge who's I think he has like a almost an 1100 OPS. Um, that's out of this world, uh, yeah. best player in the league kind of, kind of stuff. So we got 1.03. So one point. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. Pete Alonso's nine ten, by the way, which is also amazing. Yeah. I, I, uh, one other thing, I, again, I don't want to get too into the weeds on, uh, sabermetric stats, but there's, there is this other, you know, this stat called OPS plus. Basically, it takes into account the numbers across the entire league. So it's basically it's judging your OPS um, versus all the other OPSs in the rest of the league. So it's a, for example, let's say Miguel Cabrera's uh, OPS is 895. It was like 2014, which was 
50% better than the average. So if an OPS, if your OPS plus is 100, that means you're a league average. If your OPS plus is 150, that means you are 50% better than the average major league ball player. So that's how I kind of uh, would look at it. Um, not just, you know, if you want to say an 800 OPS plus is, you know, that's, that's good. And I feel like that's a good benchmark. But if you want to see how that stacks up against the rest of the league, I would look at OPS plus um, uh, if you want to if you want to get a better measure of how that person stands up versus every other major league uh, ball player. Right, and and I'm looking at the Yankee stats right now. Like uh, Connor Falefa, he's an 89, right? Mm-hmm. But he's the type of hitter who OPS is not telling the story, right? Because no. he's not a power hitter. He's hitting a couple of doubles here and there, and, and that's just what it is. So at 89 for IKF is it, fine. Like you saw yes. the average from. Um, from that standpoint, you know, Joey Gallo's at 93. He's below average, but you expect him with the 200 average to still hopefully be at that 105, 110, 120 range where he's been at certain points of his career. Uh, Judge right now, 195. So I can't, yeah. can't, can't get yeah. much better than that. That's good. Yeah. That helps uh, frame it because I know even for me, somebody who sees this all the time, I forget. I'm like, wait, this guy's 720 OPS. Like, is that is that okay or is that really good? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm somewhere in between. So. Uh, thank you for the clarification there. But on yeah, to the Mets, Mets pitching. A little bit different of a conversation here because there's the obvious Scherzer and DeGrom part of this mm-hmm. where when those guys come back, if they're healthy, like this becomes a top-tier rotation instantly. Um, but without those guys, without Tyler McGill as well, they've been holding They've been holding their ground. They've really been doing you know, everything they can to, to put out quality starts as much as possible. And perhaps the guy who we expected to be the most consistent Bassett, Chris Bassett has been okay. He's been meh at different points. So mm-hmm. h- how much more can this rotation hold off is my question. Uh, how desperate will they get for Scherzer and DeGrom to come back with Bassett, Carrasco, Walker, Peterson, et cetera. I think they've been doing, doing just fine and holding down the, uh, holding down the fort while those guys have been out. Um, Carrasco has been, uh, eaten innings again. He's given you 13 starts. Bassett's given you 14 starts of at least league average starts. Good strikeout numbers for the for the both of them. And Taiwan Walker has continued to, you know, give him give your give the Mets a good first half. Let's see how he does uh, holds up against the second half. But again, at that point, um, you're not going to be so reliant on him if uh, you know Degrom comes out back healthy. And I know that Scherzer is on his way back currently. Um, Again, my my concern for the Mets on the pitching front is more of the bullpen outside of the big three of Diaz, Smith, and Ottavino because everyone else hasn't really done. Joely Rodriguez, who uh, came over from the Yankees, has a has a five ERA. Same with Jason Shreve, four point three eight ERA, and uh, you know twenty four innings. So I feel like if you're not getting those high leverage outs, you're, the rest of the bullpen's not really holding up their end of the bargain too. So if the Mets go out and make them some kind of move, I, I expect them to a go out and get a power hitter and B uh, go and get another high leverage reliever because Joely Rodriguez is not it. And I feel like you need at least, I would feel comfortable as a Mets fan, at least having, um, you know, cause I feel like Adovino is more of a matchup guy rather than a guy that can give you like a bulk inning or two. So, I would feel more comfortable certainly as a Mets fan that to get another high leverage reliever that I feel like can give you uh, a solid inning or two and not be having to be so as carefully placed as Adovino is uh, currently. 
Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And the lefty factor as well, because Joely Rodriguez and Shreve are supposed to be our lefties. Yep. They, can't, they can't get anyone out, right? Like Aaron no. Luke is probably our best reliever last year, and he's gone and like miss, miss him a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to be big to see if they add a lefty or if they just go for best reliever available and just go for another righty. Because realistically, in today's league, you got to pitch three batters. You got to get everyone out, and, and the best are doing so. Drew Smith is doing it. Edwin Diaz is doing it. He's obviously the closer. He'll face whoever he has to. Uh, but absolutely, I agree with you. Um, we were talking about Edwin Diaz before. His mm. narrative has flipped, and it's awesome. It's super fun. Now, he's not like a perfect pitcher at this point, but he's doing mm. really, really well. He's got 14 saves, 2.3 RA, almost averaging two strikeouts per inning, which is just awesome. Um, mm. what, what, is it, what is it like now for the Trumpets and for Edwin Diaz is it is it back? Is Edwin fully back to the the Edwin Diaz we first learned about from Seattle? That now we don't have to hold our breath every single time he goes out. Yeah, he seems to he seems to just have more confidence as he's like pitching. You can just see it in his body language. I know the the first couple of years as a man, and I know I like to point out they didn't have a save on back to back days until like year three as a Met. But yes. Um, you could just tell in his confidence and his swagger and the trumpets kind of like revived him. And he has full confidence as, as he was that guy in, you know, Seattle. So that's um, great to see. And, you know, the more and more you talk about it, the more and more it looks like that the Mets actually won that Robinson Cano Edwin Diaz trade rather than uh, whether than you know, at the time felt like there was a complete and utter disaster. So thank um, God for you know, sucking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you know, that's that's pro- it, prospects prospects go to die in Seattle, man. Like I was never, uh, you know, fully confident in, you know, if, if Seattle likes like your, your hitting prospects, like, you know, just like, you know, that's the guy that you End want it. to, you <laughs> want to trade away and, you know, sell high on him, you know, and maybe Kelnick turns it around at some point to becomes a major hitter. He won't, won't be the first guy to, you know, struggle in his first couple of years and be able to turn around. But at, at this point, especially, given the Mets aspirations, um, you know, the Edwin Diaz is certainly more valuable to this franchise this year and, you know, next year rather than, you know, if the Mets kept uh, Kelnick at, at the moment. So yeah, um, it's exactly what they need and what they need right now. All right. Good stuff. So this is a nice 20 minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was our plan. I said 15, 20 minutes. Here we are at 50 minutes talking Mets and Yankees. I still got some, uh, uh, NBA draft stuff and Nick stuff to touch on. Uh, if you're listening to on the podcast app, so stay tuned on the YouTube, you know, you'll find that video separately, but last things here now, Andrew, let's talk about some all-stars. Cause we got some all-stars for the Mets, for the Yankees. And, you know, in our heads, probably we think there should be a lot of them and the Yankees pitching staff should have a handful, but from a hitting perspective, is there anyone besides judge you expect to be on the AL all-star roster? If, if it's anybody else, um, I feel like Stanton would be Stanton would be the guy to, to maybe sneak in on the on the DH belt. But actually, I think Donaldson is the is the uh, the Yankees representative right now for uh, for DH. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. I don't think Stanton's got the votes to get in there on the outfield. So. Uh, yeah, outside of outside of maybe like an injury replacement for Rizzo, uh, I, I can't see another position player making it for on the pitching side. You know, I fully expect Cole Cortez, 
uh, and maybe even uh, Tyon or Montgomery to to make the All Star team along with Clay Holmes. Right. So at, at least at least three pitchers on the Yankee side. So I expect four Yankees at bare minimum to to make the All Star game this year. Yeah, I think Rizzo's tough because he has the power numbers. He's when you watch him day to day for the Yankees, he's done a lot of clutch things, and he's been mm. that super steady first baseman who with some power that you love to see. But he's batting 222 with a 320 on base on base percentage, right? Like yeah. Vlad Guerrero Jr., 280, 360, yes. just behind a, a lick on the home run front. So it's a tough ask there. Um, so yeah, but he he could I think he has a chance at first base. You know, when you look through the first baseman in the AL, I mean, who's getting in over over him if, as the second first baseman on the team? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. other ones I'm seeing here, like Jared Walsh, Mount Castle. Jose Abreu, like these guys' numbers aren't special. So I, I think no. there's actually a real chance Rizzo gets in as the second first baseman on the squad. Possible. Entirely possible. And again, I wouldn't bar out an injury replacement for somebody, but again, I think if it's going to be someone else besides Judge, it's either going to be Rizzo or Stanton. And yeah. I like DJ, and I like DJ a lot, but he's uh the power, you know, when he was at his peak in 1920, his power numbers were were way up. And, you know, right now he's just a, you know, a high on base contact guy. The power's not really there. And I don't really, you don't really need the power to be there from him, especially when you have it, you know, you have four other guys with a slugging percentage uh, over 500 in that lineup. So, you know, you don't really need the power numbers from, from DJ, but he, he's always a nice piece to have. But uh, yeah, it's just those three. Uh, on the Yankee position front. And, and for the Mets, I believe they'll get Pete Alonso, obviously. And then I think Lindor and, and McNeil are about as close to guarantees to make the all-star team as you can get. Like, is that, is that fair to say? I think McNeil with the 320 average and just hitting it all over the place, Lindor with all the RBIs and, you know, his average and on base mm-hmm. isn't that special. But uh, being the shortstop he is, I, I think that's fair to say we might have three for the Mets. Absolutely. I think I think Alonso's your your first base starter if uh nothing well, Gold, else. Well, Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt, yeah, yeah. So Alonso's a lock to be on the team. Yeah. But he, he's not a lock to start at first base because Goldschmidt's been off the charts. I, I completely forgot about Goldschmidt. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers right now. Holy yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he's not gonna maybe he's not gonna start, but he'll definitely he'll yeah. definitely be there. So he's on the team. He's on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And then, from a pitching standpoint, I think Edwin will get in, and then relievers are weird. You never know how many yeah. non-closer relievers get on the team. You know, Drew Smith's in the range, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if if I had to put money, if I had to put a couple schmeckles down, I think it's just Edwin Diaz on the pitching side. Uh, you know, obviously, if uh, Degrom or Scherzer were you know they were healthy in the first half, I assume they would they would have been there too. But uh, unfortunately. Yeah, not the case, but Edwin definitely hundred uh, percent deserves to to be the closer for the for the NL this year. There you go. All right, and that's all we got today. Talking baseball, designated hitters, Andrew Kalania, Pete Kennedy. Any any last words for the podcast, Andrew? And uh, then we'll talk some NBA draft. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll end on a we'll end on a hockey note since we we talk about hockey so much on on this podcast here. The, the Rangers. Obviously, a disappointing end to their season this year, but uh, obviously, I, I would hearken and liken them to you know like the 2017 Yankees, where they you know they made it very far, deep playoff run more than you know you kind of expected them to, but they have a, a great core of young, 
players and a balance of veterans. And I fully expect them to, you know, obviously with Shesterkin probably being the best goalie in the league, um, being going back to, you know, deep playoff runs are, are very much in their future. So again, I would have, I would have obviously loved them to make the Stanley cup, uh, but obviously the avalanche are, are incredible and they would have got steamrolled by the avalanche. So, um, you know, I fully expect them to be do- making these type of uh, playoff runs deep into the future and fully confident and excited for the future of New York uh, Rangers hockey. Fantastic. It, it was great, you know, watching from my, my perspective as a non-hockey guy, non-real, I'm not a real Rangers fan, right? But I, I was tuned in for a bunch of playoff games. Super fun, uh, young team that's exciting. And hopefully, you know, this bring, brings back some true livelihood to the hockey. Obviously, hockey fans are always excited. But to grab those other fans consistently is huge for the sport and for the town in which the teams exist, right? So I know it's kind of like a fool's errand to ask people to watch hockey now all like all season long, and we're not going to expect it. But I do think when you have a young team that, you know, really, really captured the public and captured New York this year, there's a chance that they come in with juice enough next year that non-hockey fans, non-true Ranger fans are now tuning in a little more often or at least paying attention more often, yeah. right? Because realistically, like Mets and Yankees fans, Knicks fans, you know, we're not watching every single game, right? Like a lot of people watch a lot of games, but mm. you miss a game or two, it's okay. You're still following. You're still up to date. That's what I hope for with hockey and with the Rangers because that's what would be fun. It would be fun for us to have a real reason to talk hockey or for me to be able to talk hockey at least and yeah. know what's going on up until I just, before the playoffs. I just knew it was big when Alec was texting in the group chat saying, he's like, Oh, I'm watching, I'm watching the hockey game right now. Give me, yeah. give me the download. He's asking for, you know, guys to root for and stuff. And he was, he was, he was all in. So that made me happy. So yeah. I, I knew, I knew that's how the, the Rangers team was, uh, was getting the momentum of Alec was actually paying attention, somewhat paying attention to hockey this year. If you get that text in January next year, then we know it's real. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> really bad, real. Bad, bad chance, but we'll, uh, hey. we'll, we'll fingers crossed. We shall see. All right, Andrew, thank you as always. If you're on YouTube, check out the NBA Draft Talk short one. We're going to do a long NBA Draft Talk before Thursday. Uh, probably on Thursday we'll release that. And then, uh, you know, we'll do some recaps on the flip side. Uh, but that's it. That's all we got. Subway Sports Talk. Andrew, thank you. Cheers. See you. Welcome back to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and we're here to talk about the NBA Draft just a little bit because we got a big NBA Draft episode coming up before Thursday for the big night. But we got to talk about a couple things that I have in mind. Of course, if you're just listening on YouTube here, uh, we also did a baseball segment today, about 50 minutes of me and Andrew Kalani talking all things Mets and Yankees. So if you're on YouTube, go back and listen to that. And if you're on the podcast app, you already heard it. So thanks for listening. And now let's get into it with the NBA. I'm not going to deep dive right now into all of the intricate movement, moving pieces with all the different prospects and the mock drafts and the et cetera. I'm going to save that for Thursday, but I have a few overarching thoughts and a few thoughts about our New York Knicks because the Knicks are in the mix, as always, pulling up in rumors left and right about Kyrie Irving, I roll, and about moving up to two, moving up to four, getting from 11 to some other position in this draft to draft the player they really want, which I love the idea of. But as we know, as Knicks fans and as people who follow the NBA, the Knicks get dragged into every rumor that is exists, doesn't exist, is real, not real, doesn't matter. The Knicks are in the rumor, right? So I want to balance that out. But before we get into the Knicks side of things, I want to talk about the general idea 
of drafting here and how we're looking at a lot of these prospects, specifically starting and using the top three guys as kind of like a litmus test of how we grade these guys and what we look for in these prospects. Because I think there's a really, really difficult thing that happens with the NBA draft in regards to potential, in regards to current skill set, in regards to the person behind the combine numbers and the statistics that makes a huge difference when drafting in the lottery of an NBA draft. And, and it really is specific a lot of times to the NBA. Uh, me and Andrew were just talking about it. You know, baseball is such a big draft, takes so many years. No one really cares. It is what it is. Football is a little bit more straightforward. We understand the positions that need to be drafted early. At least we do for, uh, for the most part. Now we understand the meaning of quarterbacks and, and team building makes a lot more sense when it comes to the NBA though. On the other hand, you get this really weird situation for these teams that are in the lottery that in reality, they're there because they're not good enough, right? They're just in the lottery because they're not good. They don't have enough talent on the roster. You know, obviously that takes away the warrior situation where they're just hurt with no Clay Thompson, no Steph Curry, and they end up with a top uh, two pick, right? That That's not normal. Normal is the Sacramento Kings, the New York Knicks, the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, always drafting anywhere from one to 14 because they're just not good enough. But when that happens, GMs and fans alike start to kind of wrap their thoughts around their head a little too tight and think too much about fit and think too much about positional need than I think they should. Because in reality, with basketball, the best players can find a way. The most talented players can play with somebody who's exactly like them. You know, outside of a center, you really can find any position on the court who can play with somebody else very similar to them. Maybe you could also take out uh, the six-foot point guard, right? You don't want two six-foot point guards on your team. You could probably only have one at a time. You probably only have one seven-footer at a time. But everything in between, which oftentimes is a, a good chunk of the players who are going in the lottery, you got to take the best player. And, and that comes into the conversation with Jaden Ivey, who's projected at the four spot um, with the Sacramento Kings. Do you take him, even though you have De'Aaron Fox? Do you even love De'Aaron Fox? Can Jaden Ivey play with De'Aaron Fox? Those are really important conversations to have because if you don't think about that and you say, I can't take Jaden Ivey because I have De'Aaron Fox, and then in two years, Fox is off the team. Ivey's the best player in the, in the range of your draft pick, and you have Keegan Murray, who's an okay player and not moving the needle. That's something you want to avoid. That's something that's very difficult. And right now, with the teams that are picking first, you have the Magic, you have the Thunder, you have the Rockets, uh, and you have the Pistons, who are all in that range of, like, you just need really good players. And if Cade Cunningham is your guy right now, you can pick a one, two, three, four, or five to play with him, and it'll work out. If you have Jalen Green on your team and you expect him to be a true NBA starting caliber player, a star level player, you can't not take another shooting guard wing because you have Jalen Green if that guy's the best player, right? So thinking about Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, and Chet Holmgren, just to use those guys as the ideations of this, I think very much so about what they bring to the table and then what happens from there. Because right now, depending on who you ask, Jabari Smith is probably the surest thing out of those three picks. He's the guy who you can so specifically see how he can be successful on a basketball court that you think there's no bust potential. And you think there is some star potential, perhaps not a ton of star potential. Paolo Bancaro, on the other hand, 
is a much more dynamic playmaker, a guy who can do more with the ball in his hand. And also at Duke played with a lot of talented players who he fit in around and also lifted up. Right. So those two players right there, Chet Holmgren kind of fits into a little bit of both categories here, but those two players right there are very different. And in this particular case, people are arguing what is better, what is worse. But what I'm more or less hearing is that they're more nervous about Paolo falling out as not a good player in the NBA than they are Jabari Smith. And they're not always accounting for the possibilities of Paolo being a true NBA superstar when Jabari Smith is most likely a very good starter and not a superstar. So where does the line get drawn? Where do you have to decide on, hey, I already have uh, you know, a forward on my team who I really like. Do I not take Paolo? I already have a, a stretchy wing power forward shooter. Do I not take Jabari Smith? I, I think that has to get absolutely thrown out the window because if these guys are truly top three NBA prospects right now, they can play with somebody exactly like them on the team. And it may not be the, the perfect fit today, but if you pass on your guy now and he ends up being the better version of what you already had, you're you're losing. You're in the background. So when it comes to the NBA draft, it's very important to balance out the idea of potential and current status. And I think that's really, really tough for a lot of people when it comes to this draft. So use the Knicks as an example now. Benedict Matherin is a guy who I absolutely love, who I'll talk about in a little bit. Well, I guess talk about him right now too. He's not a very different position than R.J. Barrett. In fact, they are a similar size and stature. They have a similar demeanor when it comes to intensity and and the want to be great, but they're both just not primary ball handlers. They're both not quite knockdown shooters. They're both good defenders who need to just be a little bit more consistent, but their positives are are there and obvious. Should the Knicks not pick Benedict Matherin because of RJ Barrett? I would say absolutely not. If you think he is the guy, you find a way for those two to work together for those two to fit on the court at the same time. Because if you think he's the best player, then he's the best option to do it. Instead of taking a guy who's a four or a point guard who you're now taking at 11, who's probably should be picked 17th, that sets you up for failure, right? So you think through all these names, you got Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, Dyson Daniels, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Duran from Memphis. Like These are the names in the in the range of of the Knicks right now. And I see the Knicks mocked to Jalen Duran and I get it. He's a very athletic player who does things on the court where you occasionally say, Holy crap, that's transferable. That's going to make plays at the NBA. But then you start thinking, is that type of center, the pick that's worthwhile, right? Is that type of impactful player, the best player available? Is he the person who can help bring this team to a new level? I'm not quite sure. I'd much rather go for that wing who can handle a little bit, who can shoot a little bit, who has the attitude to be successful and get better over time. And so it's a very hard thing to, to, to break down because every team has needs. Every team has at least one to three players that they like already, right? Like there's already teams there that, that people are going to feel good about, right? Like if you think about um, even the Hornets who are, are just slated a spot or two below, They have Miles Bridges, who's a really good wing, who I really like. Does that mean they should not look at wings in the middle port in the draft? No, if they got another Miles Bridges, they'd be in great shape. 
right? So it's really tough. And I, and going back to the top three guys here, Chet Holmgren, probably somewhere in between the ceiling and floor of Jabari and Paolo, where Jabari's floor is really high. His ceiling might not be as high. Paolo's floor might be a little lower, but his ceiling's a little higher. Chet's probably somewhere in the middle where he's got a good floor and a higher ceiling. But you can't pick for fit. You can't say, oh, we're the Orlando Magic. We have the number one pick. We have a couple bigs that we like. We have uh, Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz, so we can't take blah, blah, blah. No. It absolutely comes down to the one player who you think is the best NBA guy, the guy who can add the most wins to a team, however he can do it. Because I don't, I don't care who you have, right? Like, Cade Cunningham is, is amazing. He's at five, right? If you got a carbon copy of him and put him with himself in Detroit, you're in great shape. So fit is this weird thing when it comes to the NBA draft, especially, especially in the lottery, where I don't think it matters at all. And people are starting to say, oh, you know, this guy, uh, he might not fit that great with Orlando, but he's probably the better player. Then you got to take him. If you think Paolo Bencaro is the best player, which I happen to do, I happen to think so. I think he's the most impactful NBA guy, the guy with the highest ceiling to do the most, to be a leader offensively, a playmaker, a scorer, the whole nine. I think he has to be the guy because you can't get too cute. You can't get too cute in the NBA draft. And that leads me to the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are slated at 11 right now. Depending on the mock draft, I just mentioned some of the names. You'll see A.J. Griffin. You'll see Jeremy Sohan, Jalen Duran, Johnny Davis, Mark Williams. Some of these guys are good players. Some of these guys are going to have good NBA careers. But where, where do you see a change in culture? Where do you see a guy who's relentlessly going to want to get better? Where do you see a guy who impacts the NBA game on the levels that matter most, which are what? In my estimation, if you, like depending on your position, obviously a little bit, but you have to be able to uh, either shoot the ball at a high efficiency or get to the rim at great efficiency. You have to be able to play defense and you have to be able to move the ball. Those things are absolutely non, those are, those are the, the, the start. The, if you don't have them, they're non-starters, right? Like those things are a necessity for any of these NBA players to be good players. And, and I look at these guys here and there's a few that I don't particularly love. And one of which is Johnny Davis. And it's not because I don't think he fits next to RJ Barrett. I don't like him as a prospect in the NBA in general. I don't expect him to be one of the people out there who is going to impact in multiple ways, who's going to consistently and efficiently get buckets and then be able to defend on the other end. It has nothing to do that he's the same size as RJ Barrett and plays the same position. If Johnny Davis was a better shooter and a little bit better defender, I would say let's take him right now. Book it, 11th, Johnny Davis to New York Knicks. But what he does on the court, I don't think it works next to R.J. Barrett. I don't think it works against most uh, uh, next to most NBA stars or NBA all-star caliber players. So that's why I go away from a Johnny Davis. Uh, a Jeremy Sohan, on the other hand, a guy who's not as polished as a, a, of a scorer, but as a freak athlete who can rebound, who can do a lot of things, who moves the ball really well. That's a guy who you say, all right, 11th, is his uh, upside an all-star upside? Probably not, but he's an impactful player in many ways. And when you're picking at 11, you're really looking for impact. You're really looking for pushing towards more victories.
so that, that's what I'm looking at. AJ Griffin's another, another example here, a guy barring the injuries and all that concern with the knees. He's had multiple knee surgeries. He's a guy who translates to the NBA as a shooter without a doubt and has athleticism with the ball. His defense is not great right now. Uh, that could be due to the knees. It's just a little bit weird that he looks so athletic with the ball and then not on defense. Um, but he's a player who projects to be impactful in the NBA. He's a guy who you have to consider taking. And, and it starts to split hairs. And I don't want to go too deep onto all these individual prospects because, again, I'm saving that for a later date. But as you hear about all these things, as you hear about the Knicks' opportunities to possibly trade up, you have to ask, at what cost? Who are we going for? Is there a guy in that, you know, four or two, I guess two is a possibility, two, four, six through eight range that is worthwhile moving up for that we think is going to be an impactful NBA player, no matter who he's playing with, no matter who his teammates are, what can that guy do in the NBA? Whether it be off the bench in a great bench unit, whether it be fitting in as the third, fourth, or fifth starter. It's the same type of concept that kind of stunk, stung a little bit with Obi Toppin, right? Because he's a guy who had skills to be impactful in the NBA. And then because of the fit, he wasn't allowed to do the things that make him successful. Now, is that the fault of Obi Toppin? Is that the fault of the scouts and the GMs that said he's the guy to pick? In part, in part, but mostly it's due to them sticking him in the corner and cutting off his wings. And saying, yeah, you're not the guy who's going to be running up and down the court with the ball in his hand and attacking and attacking and shooting when you're open. Just go stand in the corner. you got to learn how to hit corner threes. So the, the before and the after don't always tell the truth either. And that's, the, that's why this is such a hard job. That's why we spend hours looking at YouTube clips. And that's why we spend hours trying to figure out who's the guy for the Knicks to take or for whatever team you like. So when it comes down to this draft, and we're going to try and move up, if Jaden Ivey is that guy, I'm thrilled because what that tells me is they think he's an impactful NBA player and the fit with RJ Barrett, we're going to figure it out. That's what that tells me. And that's what I love about the idea of the Knicks moving up. If you move up and you say, yeah, well, we're not going to get Jaden Ivey. Now we're just going to get, you know, we're going to get Keegan Murray or we're going to get Sohan or something like that. Could we have gotten a very similar type of player? at a similar position at 11 and not had to give up an asset here, an asset there. I don't know. So when it comes down to it, my point here is for the Knicks to go up, if they do choose to trade up, they need to be absolutely sure that the guy they're going for is the guy, is the person who will make an impact who can play with anybody because he's an NBA caliber basketball player and not some pigeonholed star who showed up in college and did positive things in college. That's not enough. It's not enough. You need to fit in this league. And if you can fit in this league and fit against uh, fit with any good players right now, the Knicks don't have that many good players. And that's another thing. There's holes everywhere. We might love quickly. We might love Barrett. We might love Mitch. We may feel whatever how we feel with Julius Randle right now. None of those positions are off the board. None of them. If there's a two, you take the two. Matherin, he's probably a two with a little one in him. Ivy might be a two with a little one in him. Multiple ball handlers is better. Those guys need to play together. To hit the best stride, 
those guys need to work with each other. RJ has shown that he can do it. These next guy has to show he can do it too. So again, more prospect specific talk coming up on Thursday when we're going to talk about the top 10, some of the sleepers, the whole nine, how we always do it for the NBA draft. One of my favorite times of the year. It's always so crazy how you're rushing into the finals and you know, we had so many days off, probably had more time to prep for this draft year, but the finals end and it's like, boom, NBA draft time. So it's a great time. I'll be answering questions online. We're going to do another pod. It should be great fun. So look forward to Thursday. Hopefully the Knicks make the right decision. We'll talk Thursday about what we think that's going to be. So thanks for listening. YouTube right here. Don't forget to hit the subscription button and the notifications button so you know when we post new videos on the podcast app, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if it's possible. All this stuff is awesome. I appreciate you so much. And the comments and the whatnot, it really helps us grow. It helps get the conversation going. So if you're listening to this, listening to any episode ever, you know, don't be afraid to drop in your thought, drop in your take. I want to hear it. And that little comment, that little thing that you can put out there from your perspective, it helps me understand what you guys are feeling and it helps this thing grow. So for Subway Sports Talk, that's all I got right now. I'm Pete Kennedy. Thanks to Andrew Kalani talking baseball. That episode is here, or sorry, that video on YouTube is here as well. That's all I got. Cheers. Talk to you soon.